Amen. Take your Bibles, if you have one this evening, and turn to the book of 2 Timothy. I'm so pleased that our folks had a chance to go to Farmington and spend some time there. And only eternity will know, will tell, reveal the, uh, the, the, uh, the rewards from what they did there. But, but uh, the Bible says that his word will not return void. Well, praise the Lord for that. 2 Timothy, I want you to turn to chapter 3. And we're talking about perilous times. Paul said they're coming. Perilous times are coming. When? In the last times. Well, we're in those times, the last times. It's pretty obvious. Paul believed that he was in the last times, end days. And uh, we are seeing uh, revolution after revolution. We're seeing things that uh, earlier generations could not have conceived of, of fulfillments of Scripture. And so he said, perilous times will come. In chapter 3, verse number 2, For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. What a perfect picture of what we see in our society today. And as I was preparing for this series, the, the, Lord, the Lord grabbed onto my heart, made me realize, in the last days, perilous times will come. And out there in the world, there's going to be all sorts of horrible things. It's more and more sin and degradation. It's going to go worse and worse and worse, but I'd never really conceived of it. In the last days... It says that many shall depart from the faith. In the last days, there's going to be a great pressure on the church. And many of these things that we described out there are going to infiltrate the church. So in the last days, you and I, we must, we must stay faithful. We must stay committed. We must realize that Jesus is to be the focus of our love, our attention. We must not get distracted by all that's going on in the world. He must stay first and foremost in our lives. <laughs> this evening we're going to talk about covetousness. Now, just like I, don't have to, I did not have to teach my children to say no. It, it was automatic. We didn't go to no 101. They knew how to say no from very early age. One of their favorite words, no, <laughs> no, no. Just like I don't have to teach a toddler to disobey, I don't have to teach us that we struggle with covetousness. But I got good news for you. I was reading or being reminded of Bernie Madoff, one of the biggest financial crimes in modern memory involves him in 2009. He was convicted and sentenced to 150 years in prison, running the biggest 
Ponzi scheme in history. He had a $170 billion legal judgment against him. He said, uh, I am responsible for a great deal of suffering and pain. I understand that, he said. I live in a tormented state now, knowing of all the pain and suffering that I have created. Bernie Madoff created a life of covetousness, of getting all he could at the expense of others. And so you and I can say, well, we're sure not like Bernie Murdoch, Madoff, <laughs> whoever the guy is. We're not that bad. Oh, sure, we covet some, but we're not that bad. And so God has given to us some great examples that can make us feel better, like him, right? <laughs> Let's just take a quick look here. Jesus warns us of covetousness. And you say, well, Christians don't covet, do they? Well, maybe you never have, but I have. In Luke 12, 13, And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother, that he divide the inheritance with me. And can't you just picture the scene? Here a parent probably has died off, and there's an inheritance to be divided up, and one of the brothers is, is being a little belligerent and is not dividing it equally, apparently. And so this one brother comes to Jesus, Jesus, go to my brother and make him share. Make him share with me. Verse 14, he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And this is brilliant. This, this, this response of Jesus is just incredibly, incredibly brilliant. He refused to engage in their family dispute. He knew that for him it was a lose-lose proposition. At least one of the brothers would resent him in the end. He instead gave him a warning, one that would diffuse the problem and allow for a demonstration of love instead of animosity and bitterness. He gave them a parable then to illustrate his meaning. And here's the parable, verse 16. He spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease. Eat and drink and be merry. And God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Hmm. Beware of covetousness. The rich man had made two conclusions. First of all, that success is the accumulation of all you possibly can. When do you succeed in life? When you have everything you can get. His trust was in his wealth, not in God. Psalm 62:10. Trust not in oppression and become vain, not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. Secondly, he concluded that success is solely enjoying the benefits of accumulation. Give me more so I can enjoy more. Give me more so I can take it easy. 
I don't have to work. Give me more. Problem is, he had not thought of God or anyone else for that matter. Isaiah 47.10, For thou hast trusted in thy wickedness. Thou hast said, None seeth me. Thy wisdom and thy knowledge it hath perverted thee. And thou hast said in thine heart, I am, and there is none beside me. God wants all of our trust and refuses to share it with our riches. In 1 Timothy 6.17, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches. True success is found in celestial investing, heavenly investing. Matthew 6, 19 and 20, Lay up not for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal. Beware, he says, beware. Beware of covetousness, but my brother won't. Beware. But I have a legitimate case. It's not fair. Beware. Beware, he said. So what is covetousness? I looked it up. It's, it's desiring more. It's avarice or greed. It's fraudulency or deceitfully trying to get more. It's extortion, or getting money by violence or threats. 45-year-old Irene Seal and her husband, a former police officer and employee at Exxon, seemed like a regular suburban family, but in 1992, they kidnapped the president of Exxon Company, Sidney Resso, in the driveway of his New Jersey home. The New York Times called it a twisted tale of kidnapping and of dreams gone wrong. They demanded a ransom of $18.5 million from his company and ended up killing him during a struggle. Greed was believed to be the motive of the crime. The seals simply wanted to live a lavish lifestyle they couldn't afford. There are some biblical examples of covetousness. We learn in Proverbs 21:25, the desire of the slothful killeth him. For his hands refuse to labor. He coveteth greedily all the day long, but the righteous giveth and spareth not. So, first of all, covetousness is a sin of the slothful, we're told. It's interesting, around the rise of COVID, there was a mass exodus from the workforce. It's hard to comprehend. Why is everybody leaving the workforce? Large numbers of folks quit their jobs and chose to live on the government and or other funding sources. Interestingly, refusal to work is a tenet espoused by Marxism. In an attempt to destroy all God-ordained institutions, even work is now being considered the enemy. God blessed Adam with work from the very beginning in Proverbs 18.9, he also that is slothful in his work is brother to him that is a great waster. Remember the, the highly publicized protests a couple summers ago. Where did all those looters we watched that were breaking the windows of storefronts, carrying armloads of merchandise come from? You see, if they had been working at their jobs, they would not have had time to loot. Covetousness 
is a heart sin. In Mark 7, 21, from, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. They're all in there. Out of the heart of man. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. Who could know it? Proverbs 4.23, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Covetousness is allowing our heart to control our thinking. Our wants become the driving force of our lives. Our wanter gets out of control. I want this, I want that, I want this. We get our eyes focused on something, and I want, I want, and I want. And all of a sudden, all reason clouds in the distance. Covetousness is the result of not thinking right. Romans 1, 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Okay, that's the basis. They didn't want God in their minds. But if you take God out of your mind, you are susceptible for every evil thought. God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness. What's the result of taking God out of our minds? What goes in is covetousness. Because they refused to allow God to direct their thinking, He gave them over to their own fleshly desires. Allow, along with bitter consequences. In Isaiah 59, verse 2, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you, that He will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies, your tongue hath muttered perverseness. Verse 7, Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are in thoughts of iniquity, wasting and destruction on their path. In Romans 8, 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Therefore, a man who is covetous cannot please his God. How's your prayer life? Are you walking in a vibrant relationship with the Lord? Is it for, for you more than just a song? Oh, you sing, and he walks with me and he talks. Is it reality with you? Is it possible your lust for things has become a substitute for your dependence upon God? In Colossians 3, 5, it says, Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. I happen to remember how mad God got in the Old Testament about idolatry. Do you remember the Old Testament? How the children of Israel kept worshiping those false gods, and how he chastened them over and over again, finally finally uh, giving them to the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Why? Because their hearts were given to false gods. And here we're told that covetousness is idolatry. In Ephesians 
5.5, For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. The covetous man is an idolater. That means he has put his desire for things before God. How many times do we allow our hearts to covet something and dream of having it without even considering God's will in the matter? New car, new job, new house, new clothes, groceries. Luke 18, 18, a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good save one that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, All these have I kept from my youth up. And when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing. Sell all that thou hast, and distribute to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. When Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God. We see some dangers of covetousness in the scriptures. Jeremiah 18, or 8, 10, Therefore will I give their wives unto others, and their fields to them that shall inherit them. For every one from the least, even unto the greatest, is given to covetousness. From the prophet, even unto the priest, everyone dealeth falsely. Whew. We're talking about a shotgun blast. You're all guilty, he says. You're all guilty of covetousness. Even the religious leaders. All are vulnerable to covetousness. You mean even the preachers? Preachers don't get covetous, do they? You've not heard any publicity about preachers getting in trouble for covetousness, have you? This was interesting. From a Gallup poll in January of 2023, it reads, Consider the clergy, that's those in the ministry, in 1977, 61% of Americans praised the ethics of the clerical, clerical community, preachers. The figure dropped steadily during the 2000s and 2010s amid an ongoing scandal in the Catholic Church. In 2022, only 34% of the public rated clergy high on the ethics. When I would go door knocking... I would always, always introduce myself. I'm pastor from whatever church I was before in Illinois. I'm pastor. Last few years, I've seen a dramatic change when I introduce myself as pastor. I don't introduce myself as pastor like I used to. In Titus 1.7, for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre. Of all people, those in the ministry should not be covetous. Next, in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 
Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, revilers, extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Ephesians 5, 5, For this ye know, that no whoremonger, unclean person, covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Boy, there's a list of grievous sins here. Each one disqualifying the guilty from the rewards in Christ's kingdom. You're not going to inherit it. You're not going to receive an inheritance there. This is not describing losing one's salvation. We know you can't lose your salvation. But one can lose their inheritance. 1 Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Covetousness can lead one away from the faith. Many have exchanged their faith for their lust for fortune. We become consumed with things that we... When we become consumed with things over God, we're in danger of walking away from the faith. I asked a parent some years back of a graduating senior why their talented son wasn't considering going into the ministry. His answer, the ministry doesn't pay enough. I want my son to be successful. Second Peter 2.1, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction, and many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness, shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Here's the deal. Covetousness is being described here as the motivation behind the false prophet. There are many appeals from television or internet evangelists today for money. Keep our ministry going. For some, they mean, keep my new cars coming. Keep my house payments coming. Got to pay for the pool. Time and again, their lavish lifestyles are exposed. Lastly, here's some warnings about covetousness. Psalm 10, verse 3. For the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire, and blesseth the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth. God despises covetousness. Beware of covetousness. Our value is not in what we accumulate. He who dies with the most toys wins. I've seen the, that on bumper stickers. He who dies with the most toys, I say, still dies. None of those toys go with them. Luke 12, 15, he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things 
which he possesseth, possesseth. Come over to my home. I want to show you my new home. Unsaid, my home is so much better than yours. Let me show you my new car. Whoa, it's got all these whistles and bells. Unsaid, boy, it sure rides better than yours. Anything wrong with a new home, new car? No. No, but there's lots wrong with covetousness. Billionaire Malcolm Forbes is the one credited with that phrase. He who dies with the most toys wins. What does he win? The title of covetous. What if a man has a few toys? Is he of less worth? Is he not worth talking to? Well, you don't have a new car. I'm not going to talk to you. You don't have a large bank account, so I'm not going to waste my time with you. Seriously? Can you imagine Jesus doing that? I'll tell you who Jesus, who, who caught Jesus' eye, this little widow. She had two mites. That's all she had. She put them in the offering plate, hoping nobody would see her. Jesus did. And he said, wow, will you look at that? She gave everything she had. Wow. Here are these folks coming in with bags of money, and they drop it in, all that noise. Jesus was unimpressed, because they could have given so much more. In 1 Corinthians 5.11, But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that's called a brother be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or extortioner, with such, no, not to eat. <clears throat> so covetous believers are off limits. There's something inside of us that wants to be around rich people. We somehow think that what they have might rub, up, rub off on us. Jesus warned the Corinthians to avoid having company with covetous people. Ephesians 5, 2, and walk in love as Christ also loved us and given himself as an offering and sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication, all uncleanness, or covetousness, let it not once be named among you as becometh saints. Believers should love, not covet. Understand, you can't do both. I'm not loving you if I'm coveting what you have. Hebrews 13, 5, let your conversation, your manner of life, how you live your life, be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So, believers, we're to be content. Content. How many of our worries, our concerns, would not exist if we were not prone to covetousness? That high monthly car payment, credit card balance, keeps getting more and more out of control. All those things that we just seem to not be able to live without. We need to carefully look around at all we have and thank God He has been so generous to us. Thank him for what he's given us instead of grumbling about what we think we don't have.
I wish I could tell you that I never went through a stage of letting my credit cards get out of control. I wish I could tell you that. I wish I could tell you I was never prone to covetousness. I wish I could tell you that I never had to go through the painful time of getting those astronomical credit card balances paid off. I wish I could tell you that, but I can't because it wouldn't be a truth. But I will tell you that learning to be content is so much sweeter. Now, you're here on a Sunday night. You are some of the most generous people I know. So in a way, I'm preaching to the choir. But perhaps if I keep us in line and away from covetous, it will rub off on others. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for all you've given to us. We're, we're a rich people. Thank you, Lord, for bestowing upon us blessing after blessing after blessing. Lord, after salvation, what more do we need? But daily you shower your blessings upon us, and for that we're so grateful. Lord, tonight, would you use this message as a reminder that we're to keep our eyes focused upon you and love, not covet. Help us to be content with what you've given us. And Lord, help us to be generous in our giving. Thank you, Lord, for this time. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.